Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and my guest today is Dr. Richard Field, OBE. Richard is a specialist in individual and organisational growth and development, chairman of Highlander Computing Solutions, former chairman and CEO of the Dyson Refractories Group, visiting professor at Sheffield Hallam University, former South Yorkshire Businessman of the Year. Richard, welcome. Thank you. It was Dave Hembra who recommended you as a potential interviewee. I think you made a big impression on him when he attended your 10-day integral leadership course. Of course, you've run for over 2,000 delegates. Can you tell us what's special about that course? It's interesting you mentioned uh, David Hembra, actually, because one can always tell somebody's going to benefit from learning. And Dave was one of those people. I remember him as we shared, he would uh, reflect, but then he would um, come up with really good questions to enhance his learning. So uh, yeah, lovely man. Uh, So the program, uh, well, if I give you a bit of history, please. I was running a program, uh, leading a program at um, Balliol College, Oxford, and we'd had over 10,000 executives through the program. It was um, part of the Industrial Society, which used to be the largest training organization in the world. It was their flagship program. And um, I was approached by somebody from a training and enterprise council to say, at that time, this is over 20 years ago, they couldn't find a world-class leadership program. Would I design one? And so I got hold of a small team of people who I really rated and we spent some two years. It was extraordinary because at the end of it, I, I have to say, I, I was enormously surprised because what we what we came up with was actually a program for life. It's a program whereby it doesn't matter whether you're a school child or whether, in fact, you're an international board of directors. They're exactly the same processes that can be used. Let me give an example. I use this to help young people prepare for their GCSEs, and I've used it uh, use one of the processes for a one and a half billion pound project. And there, it's exactly the same process. For example, if I was to ask you, what do you plan for this next year? A, uh, a company might say, okay, well, this is strategic thinking. I need to think that through. For an individual, for a young person, it might be very different, but it's the same question. Now you might say, well, come on, the masses of key processes. But for me, if you think about the Oxford Dictionary, it's got about, say, a quarter of a million words in the English language. However, you only need 1,000, 2,000 to be able to speak the language. It's exactly the same in life and in leadership. You only need the essence of very few of the key processes, and that's what we share on the programme. And incidentally, I've been sharing it all over the world, but the AWRC in Sheffield, the head of that, uh, Rob Copeland's, said, well, uh, come on, uh, how about running a program together? And we've designed one which actually is going to be available and we want anyone who wants to come to come on the program to enhance their lives. Obviously, this is a compassionate leadership interview. So I have to ask you what role you see for compassion in business. You've talked about process. What about compassion? All right. So would you define compassion, please? So I'd see it as 
working with a concern for others. So we might define it as empathy plus action. All right. For me, I think you missed something out there. And that is it's uh, empathy, I think, is uh, and compassion is about yourself as well as others. Uh, because unless you're compassionate yourself, then I think it's very difficult to be compassionate to others. And I, I, I have to say, uh, Dale Carnegie's first rule, uh, the, the training organization, um, have the three C's, which are never criticize, condemn or complain. And I, I don't, or I try not to. But then what I realized when I was about 50 was actually the one person I was beating up was myself. For me, uh, compassion is, um, well, I'll give you an example. I love stories, and that's what our program is all about as well, because the story, stories can set the culture of any organization and any family. So I became, um, I became at 35, I became chief executive and chairman of an, a large organization, and I didn't know what to do. So I went to uh, somebody who I really rated as a businessman, and I still do, and unfortunately he's not with us anymore, a guy called um, David Frith. And I said, what do I do? Uh, I've got all these people. I don't know what to do. The company's not doing it well at all. What should I do? And he said, there's only two things you ever have to do, Rich, in business. And I realized that actually that's all you have to do in life. Would you like to know, Chris, what those two things are? Of course I would. <laughs> okay, the first one is be there. And the second one is to listen. Be there and listen. And actually that takes into account your two points, which are empathy and action. Uh, be there is the action. Empathy is the listening. And by the way, listening doesn't mean say you have to listen. And my goodness me, I don't agree with them. Listen for their truth. And you don't have to agree with them but actually listen for where they're coming from. Because actually, everyone um, are wonderful. It's up to us as leaders to make them, if you like, even more wonderful, or rather give them the space to be able to be the best that they can be. That's a great answer. It strikes me that your consultancy work has followed a distinct arc over the years. You started out in company turnarounds and financial planning, but the last 20 years has been all about leadership and development, both of individuals and of teams. What is it that fascinates you about leadership? I remember on one of our courses, we had this nurse from a, um, a hospice. And uh, I was saying, don't fill your mind with things you're concerned about unless you're going to do something about it. And she said, that's all very well you saying that, Rich, but I work in a hospice. And there's this lady who's dying. There's nothing I can do about it. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I suppose when I finish my, my shift, I go and sit down and hold her hand. And I said, but that's doing something. That's, that's taking action. And my belief is actually about life. If you're not going to focus on it, you're not going to do something about it, then don't concern yourself because it fills your mind. You need to think about positive things and uh, my, my leadership philosophy, therefore, is that everyone, if you like, is doing the very best they can. And one should give them the uh, crucible, the space to enhance themselves and do all you can to give them the support they need to, to be the very best. Uh, sorry, let me just tell you a story of why I believe that it makes a difference. I'm going to tell you about my best friend. My best friend was seven, and he had a thing called encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain. 
and uh, which meant that uh, actually uh, he was in a coma for a month. And when he came out, his doctor said to his parents, your son is ha going to have to have 10 hours sleep every night of his life. And uh, he's going to be at least a year behind any of his friends. So he knew he was no use. He knew there was nothing he could do about it. And um, he, he was bullied very badly at school. He had to wear irons because his, his uh, bones were brittle. His memory uh, wasn't as good as it should be. He wasn't able to speak very well. Uh, he had a stutter and um, he wasn't well at all. Well, he, he grew up and then he went on a course uh, and he heard a saying that changed his life. And that saying was, by doing you become, by doing you become. So he started working hard and he became hard work. He started doing caring things, became a more caring person. And that person, that person was a, um, got the OBE, would you believe? He was a governor, formation governor of Sheffield Hallam University. He helped the Prince of Wales. He helped Anita Roddick set up common person. And of course, that was me. Now, I never, never want people to go through the pain I went through. And with some simple, simple processes that we share on our, on our program, I think one can get over many of that, that pain that actually I went through. Well, that's quite a story, Richard. Thank you. Setting aside your industrial career, you've been involved in the leadership of some impactful organisations. You were a formation and governor, as you've just said, of Sheffield Hallam University, a formation director of Sheffield Development Corporation, Sheffield Economic Regeneration Committee and JCP, the Collaboration Consultancy. What is your personal leadership philosophy? Well, it is that everyone does the very best that they can with the resources they have available to them. And actually, to tell you the truth, I think uh, people are family. And if, if somebody, if one's son or daughter trips over a pavement, you don't say, are oh, you stupid thing? Uh, stop doing that. What you always should do is to divide the person from the behavior. And in um, my, my philosophy is ask questions, because if the person tells you the answer, it comes from themselves and they're learning through that development. So um, when things don't go right, I say, well, if we were to do that again, how might that be done better? The reflection is one of the powerful keys to life. I'm on my, my book at the moment, which I started my eight four books. This one is number 238. I started them in back in 1980, and every meeting I have, every phone call that I have is in there. But I didn't until about 10 years ago really reflect on the experience I've had. Now each night I do a review of the day, what 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 went well, what could have gone better, and how can I make tomorrow even better than today? Well, over your career. You've transitioned from a CEO to a chairman role in which you have no day-to-day -day executive responsibility but are central to the effectiveness of the board as a team. What makes a good chairman? I think um, the, the key these days, uh, uh, for me, are teams. One individual cannot run something. So what does a chairman need to do? Well, they need to, of course, to 
get people together and get them working together. I remember uh, Sandra Cash, who was chief executive of the NHS in Sheffield, and I had him. Uh, I asked him to be interviewed on one of our programs, and what he said was, I, I, I love this metaphor, and that is, he said, imagine an engine on top of a railway track. The railway track are relationships. The engine are the issues. Therefore, the stronger the railway tracks, the bigger and the heavier the issues you can deal with. And thus, a chairman, in my opinion, needs to uh, engender a sense of trust, a sense of relationships. And of course, you therefore, the chairman needs to um, ensure the space is available, the crucible is available for people to be able to talk and know that they are not going to be hit hard. Also, I think chairman needs to sit down with the team and work out, okay, what is our purpose? Why is our organization there? And I know we're talking business, but I've worked with Sheffield City Council, for example. I've worked with universities, with uh, charities, etc. They're all the same. You need to, well, you need to get to know people because actually, as I said, everyone's got fabulous potential. And our job as leaders is to get, give them the opportunity to be able to be the best they can be. You've briefly touched on issues. What do you see as the greatest challenge or challenges facing business today? I think uh, for me, it's um, we're not up here on our own. We, are, we have to look after ourselves. We have to look after our organisations. We have to look after our communities. We have to look after our globe. We have to look after everyone overseas. And, and we, we have to realise also in organisations that actually by looking after others, we can do even better ourselves. I remember when I was coaching the board of Yorkshire Water, one of the directors said, do you know, Rich, you've been coaching us now for three years and you haven't mentioned profit once. And yet... We, we were the most hated organization in Britain. Now we are one of the, we are being voted the best utility in the UK. And it's not about profit. Profit money always comes if you enhance, give people the opportunity to enhance themselves. So uh, back to your question, 50% of all startups survive after five years. The other 50% are gone. Now, the reason for me, in my opinion, is professionalism. It's not knowing the key tools, not knowing the key processes. Now, that's why, um, again, I push this program called uh, Leading um, Through Health and Wellbeing, which we're running at the AWRC in Sheffield Hallam University. It will give people the tools they need because actually you say, ah, oh, entrepreneurs, they're the answer. That's not my belief. My belief is actually everyone is vital. So therefore, an entrepreneur might start the business, but might think of all the people who actually run that business long term. They need to be just as professional as the people who start. And usually profession, uh, uh, an entrepreneur, people say, oh, why well, do we start out to, to run a business? Often not. Often it's because the person either doesn't like their boss or think they can perhaps do better themselves or want to have a go at doing better themselves. And that's fine. But to do that, you need some essential tools. So I think professionalism is one of the things that we really should support and everyone should be continuously learning. I, I do at least um, one course ongoing at any one time. I know you might find this question hard, but what is your proudest achievement in business? 
if I may give you two, one is just um, seeing people be the very best they can be. For example, I got a, uh, an email yesterday from Australia, somebody who'd been on our program. And he said, you know, um, came on your program and um, my wife and I, whenever we get into a difficult situation, we ask each other, what would they have said on Integral Leadership, which is our program? And they sort it out. That's one. The other one, I guess, is my DBA at um, Doctor of Business Administration at Sheffield Hallam University. And I need to thank Sheffield Hallam and also Professor David Meganson, who was my main uh, supervisor, and um, John McCauley, who was my other supervisor. It was the most wonderfully rewarding situation. Oh, yes, the other person I should thank above everyone was my wife, actually, because what I didn't realize is how much work was involved. And uh, she's been a wonderful support. I, I've learned that she's she's a very wise lady. She's taught me that actually the more you can keep things stable around you, the more opportunity you have for doing extraordinary things, if that makes sense. Yes, it does indeed. And would you be prepared to disclose your biggest mistake and what you learned from it? Well, I can tell you what, I've made lots of mistakes, for goodness sake. And actually, by making mistakes, of course, that's how you learn, because it's the most painful thing, isn't it? But I, all right, so one, um, one of my standards is I write a thank you letter to somebody every day. And I remember going into a, an office, a large, large organization, I'll not tell you who it was. And this lady said, hey, Rich, come over here. And I said, what is it, Grace? She said, let me show you this. And she had a card from me, and it was a thank you card. I said, that's 10 years old. She said, yes, Rich, it's the last time anyone's ever thanked me. So um, I wrote this thank you letter to a guy called Tony Robbins in America. You might have heard of him. Uh, I'd been listening to his tapes, and I wrote and thanked him and said, this is fantastic. I love your tapes. And two years later, his managing director rang up, and he said, what do you want? And I said, well, what's he doing for the community when he comes to Britain? Because he was coming to Britain. And he said, well, nothing. So I sent him a, a proposal and he came, to, he came to Sheffield. And the University of Sheffield, but very kindly, Gareth Roberts, professor, he became Sir Gareth Roberts, who's vice chancellor, um, gave us the Firth Hall where we had about 500 people, I think, there. And I said, I'll tell you what, next year you can come and we'll take over the arena for you. Well, I hadn't a clue whether you could do that or not. Went down to the arena and they said, well, as a matter of fact, we do give the arena one day a year to the community. Yeah, okay, you can have it. Oh, by the way, it'll cost you £20,000 uh, because even if just opening it costs that amount of money in those days. So um, uh, we got sponsorship uh, by lots of lots of companies helped and we got him there. And I remember a week before uh, he was due to arrive, the arena rang me up and they said, Rich, um, you should know that um, the Tony Robbins people are putting in the largest lighting system that the arena has ever seen. And it's not going to cost you 20,000, it's going to cost you 90,000. Well, cutting a long story short, um, got the money and um, my, my wife doesn't like his name mentioned in this house. Uh, we, we didn't have the money uh, and um, bank were very good at the time but um, however it took a bit of time and lots of generosity lots of people as well however that was my fault it was my fault what I learned was first of all I didn't write down 
what the specifications were that we should had agreed. Secondly, what I didn't do, and I have to say my some of my major mistakes are because of this, I've loved the people, trusted the people, but I didn't monitor. One of the keys to leadership is monitor, monitor, monitor. And, it, and people have said to me, hey, come on, Rich, why are, you, why are you monitoring me? Don't you trust me? Of course I trust you. But my job as a leader is to monitor. And that has saved me many times as well. You're an exemplar for personal development of all the many formal courses you've attended. Which one has, a great, has had the greatest impact on you? Well, I mentioned the Industrial Society one, where uh, I learned this uh, by doing You Become. Uh, I was sent on that by my managing director at the time. And in fact, I loved it so much. And they, they needed um, people to help on the course. And I went back for 15, 15 times before eventually they asked me to, to, to run the program as well. So the Industrial Society one would be a uh, certainly one which I would, would say was fantastic. The DBA program, of course. I don't think it matters, tell you the truth, what you go on. I think every course is worth, there's always something you can gain from a course. And therefore, for me, uh, just continuously learn and um, say, what's my intent? What's my intent on going on this course? What do I want out of it? And then review it. And then you'll find that every course has a, it's, there's something in every course, I think. And is there a person or experience that has inspired you on your journey? Well, I mentioned David Frith, um, mm. and I've mentioned also um, uh, David Meginson and um, uh, John McCauley and my wife, Pippa, who inspires me daily. But if I was thinking of another person, I re remember Hugh Sykes, who's now Sir Hugh Sykes. After I left Bryden, Bryden Ropes in Doncaster, uh, I joined him uh, in a very small business consultancy firm. And I remember one day, he asked me into his office and he said, hey, Rich, um, this company uh, is going bust. We, you need to be down there fast. Like you're down there tomorrow morning. Train goes at five o'clock tomorrow morning. Could you be, be on it, please? And I said, well, Hugh, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this and I've got this work I've still got to do. And he sat back and he reflected and he said, yes, you're absolutely right, Rich. I'll do it. Uh, and I knew however much work I had, he had 10 times as much as me. And so I said, no, Hugh, of course I'll do it. And actually, I learned that there are no barriers. We only make the barriers for ourselves. Uh, when I started doing jiu-jitsu, when I was much younger, I took my children and then I started doing jiu-jitsu. And I became a first dan black belt. And I asked my teacher, Joe Mappin, would you mind if uh, I do my second dan? He said, no, sorry. I said, why not? He said, you're not committed enough. I said, please. He said, all right, be down at my gym, six o'clock every morning and I'll decide. So seven days a week, six o'clock in the morning, which meant I had to get up at five, down in his gym. And after 17 weeks, he said, right, I'll take you on. A year later, seven days a week when I was in Sheffield, six o'clock in the morning, I did that. Uh, and I realized again, there are no barriers. We just put barriers in our way. As a Sheffielder, I must ask you this question. You've taken a great interest in the economic well-being of Sheffield City region over the years. What do you think to the current trajectory of the region and are there any blind spots to which the local enterprise partnership should be paying attention? 
I don't know about blind spots. I, I think what is essential is, is the support of our young people. Uh, in our present situation, young people are going to find it hard to find work, are finding it extremely hard to find work. They've been missing out on education. They've been stuck at home, which must be extremely difficult for them. Um, I, I would say that if they can support our young people even more than they are now, then I think they'll be uh, doing a great job. And I know that our Dan Jarvis is really pushing. And I know because I know an, uh, one or two of the people within their organization, they are doing everything they can and their hearts are in the right place. You're an ambassador for Homeless and Roofless at Christmas. Why did you take on that role? It used to be the Archer Project. And I was one of the originators of their founders, or I was asked to help for that. I remember going down to the Archer Project uh, and there was a young man reading a Terry Pratchett book. And I sat down with him and said, hey, I'm reading a Terry Pratchett book and I'm really enjoying it. He said, have, I've read them all. How, how are you getting on? I'm just reading them for the second time. And the guy was bright as a button. And I realized that, hey, there but for the grace of God go I. But what I, I do very little for them, I have to say, when I'm asked, I do, of course. But what I found in, in the best way of me uh, supporting others is to do what I do best, which is my facilitation and sharing the processes. And that's where I help, whether it be hospices, whether it be schools or whatever. That's where I find I put my time in. Is there a book, podcast or video that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders? Oh, well, of course, this one, uh, Say No More. But also, Chris, I loved, if you're thinking of a business book, I think Shoe Dog is fantastic. It's about the originator, the person who did uh, Nike. I really, I've read that recently and I really love that. Ray Dalio's book, if you want something a bit heavier uh, on principles, is very good. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was um, top of the business books for about 20 years. And I, that was one of the first books I ever read. And I, it's ageless and well worth reading by Stephen Covey. Um, I've got a book that I, I love, which is called The Servant by James C. Hunter. The book, The Servant, is about this executive who thinks that the leader who thinks they're really good and the wife, uh, his wife and uh, boss say, <clears throat> I think you should go on. And he goes to this sort of retreat and learns, in fact, how to become a compassionate leader. So it's wonderful, wonderful reading. My two brothers and I get together once a year and say, what have you been up to? What are you doing now? And what's your aspirations for next year? How can we support you? And they listen to me and they said, Rich, you're becoming terribly dull. All you do is you read business books. They said, we task you, every other book you read has got to be a novel. And it's changed my life. So if anyone wants a list of my books since that date, I've read, I don't know how many, 300-something books. I, I write them down, write a little uh, paragraph or take a little paragraph from the, the web, and um, I star it and all that sort of thing. But if anyone wants that, then, of course, they're very welcome to. Shall I give my email address? Would that be good? Yes, that, that would be, since you, we didn't have a Twitter handle for you at the start. Go on then, Richard. It's rich at fieldenterprise, and that's singular, rich at fieldenterprise.co.uk. Thank you, Richard.
I'm trying to do your thing as well. I'm trying to read fewer business books and more novels. That's my latest. Laurie Lee, as I walked out one midsummer morning. So you're a busy man. What does your self-care regime look like? What do you do to keep yourself fit and sane? When you say busy, by the way, I've never had a problem with being too busy. There's always time. And that's something we also do on the programme. It's time management. It's actually me management. How do I manage myself? As long as you focus on priorities, if you like, then there's no need to be an hour. It's just just get what needs to be done right. Uh, back, Sorry, you're back to your question. Yes, yeah, self-care is, for me, the most important thing of all. Because I think unless you look after yourself, unless you are healthy, it took me a long time to realise this, then you can't help others. So um, that's why I get up early in the morning and I'll do uh, two hours uh, of I do Tai Chi. I've been very fortunate. Um, 30 years ago, um, uh, when the World Student Games uh, was on, a, a guy called Reza Hezeva was doing Tai Chi in, the, in Western Park. And I joined him. And um, he now teaches me traditional Chinese medicine, which is fascinating. That's one of my courses, which I adore. But about, about 10, 12 years ago, uh, I also I went to Kingdom Hall up in Netheredge, where a person, a wonderful man called David Barrow, runs Tai Chi program and has done for ooh, over 40 years. And they are astonishing. Now, I used to have major migraine headaches from when I was young, from when I was, from when I was seven. And I also had bad back. Both of them have gone because of these wonderful people. And I tell you what, now uh, I, I wouldn't be without my, my Tai Chi for anything. I do yoga in the morning and I walk. But for me, you can, uh, standards, I must do my, my Tai Chi every day. And I suppose I could walk 10,000 steps a day. I don't. Uh, however, I do it um, about five or six days a week. For me, exercise, um, looking after oneself, it makes such a difference. And may I say one other thing? I also meditate uh, for 20 minutes every morning and every evening. And back to what you said about compassionate leadership, the sort of silence and the activity, that's what it does for me. I found that by just spending a few minutes of my time each morning and each evening, if you like, just grounding myself, just clearing my mind, etc., it's made so much difference to to my life. And it's interesting, getting older, I thought, oh dear, I'm not sure about getting older. But actually, mentally, it's it's made me so much more at peace. And, and that's been wonderful. That's been wonderful. Mm. Mm. Okay, so this final question I ask all of my guests, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? The first one for me is to slow down. Some time ago, I shadowed the chief constable of South Yorkshire, Richard Wells, and we walked through Meadow Hall. And I said, Richard, I can't keep down to your pace. You're going so slowly. And he said, Rich, try it. Notice how much more you notice. And also reflect by just thinking, okay, so how could I have done that better? What have I learned from the situation? How can I make the future that much better? It's uh, all that I think comes from reflection. So slow down and reflect would be one. Another one would be focus. I, I, I like to each, dare I say, at Christmas time, I spend time focusing on what I'm going to do for the next year. 
and I think about my clients, I think about my family, and I put dates in my diary. So I actually have a plan for the year. May I add one or two more? Absolutely. All right, thank you. One is to always think of the positive, think positively about, you can always see challenges uh, and difficulties in other people and in yourself. But if you look for the good things, that's what grows. Whatever you focus on grows. Be there and listen, I've mentioned. And I think also do what you love to do, or whatever that is, and work hard at it every day. Thanks, Richard. And now we're going to do something that I don't normally do on a podcast, but you have suggested we do do, review the meeting. Uh, yes. Actually, this came out, um, dare I say, partly out of my uh, doctrine. But also, um, I remember a company using this in company, and he said, do you know, I do a meetings process, which actually we're not coming, we cover on the programme, which actually I've used. And over the last three years, my company uh, has grown from 300 people to 2,000 people. And he said, a major reason for that is the effectiveness of our meetings. Whoever we meet, our clients say, oh, it's your meetings that really are like a hot knife through butter, communicate, 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 makes communication so much better. Always finish a meeting with a simple review. And it's using the hard head and the will force, if you like, so that the head, the two questions you ask are, what went well? So I'm going to ask you, Chris, what went well in our interview together? Uh, I thought I didn't have to say much, Richard, because I think we're on a very similar wavelength. And so I didn't feel it necessarily to steer the conversation particularly. I spent most of my time listening to you. A bit of feedback from me is that you became more fluent, I found, as we went on. We warmed up over time. Thank you. And for me, uh, I think your preparation uh, was great. You, you thought through the questions and you also sent them to me. So I didn't... Uh, at least I said something rather than uh, even at the beginning, even if I wasn't wonderfully fluent. So I think also, also you're a wonderful listener as well. I, I could tell that you would have loved to have jumped in on all sorts of occasions and built on what I'd said. So, all right. So that's what's gone well. That's part of the head. Now, also, what could have gone better? Notice I don't say what didn't go well, but what could have gone better? What could have gone better? I liked your stories. Maybe we could have had more stories, actually. And uh, perhaps I could have asked you for some examples of a process within your integral leadership programme. Uh, you've had um, you've had one or two into, intertwined. The, the one we're talking about now, the review, is, is part of that, as is the reflection, as is time management, etc. But I agree we could have gone into more depth. Uh, for me, what could have gone better is... Um, Although I prepare, uh, I always think that I should need to prepare more. And also when preparing, what I realise, in fact, uh, I need to do is I need to answer out loud. It's fine preparing in my head, but to actually articulate it really helps, certainly helps me to uh, think things through. So we've, we've dealt with the head, uh, what's gone well and what's gone better now. If we want things to go better, of course, we need an action on the process. So let's just have a look. Uh, what you said is more stories. So that's up to me, isn't it? I must remember next time I'm interviewed to ensure that I have more stories if need be. 
and ask for a process. Well, we've got this. I tell you what, if you just use one process, just this one process, it can be life changing. It really can be. So and the, the point about going on any course or learning anything is it's fine to hear it. But actually, the, as well as learning the experience, use it. That's the key. Finally, the heart. Then, What's your feeling of feelings about the meeting? I thought your original story about your own journey was very impactful indeed. That's somewhere where I could have prepared better. If I'd known that story, I could have drawn that out a bit more from you. Well, I tell you what, Chris, the, the way to do that is to come on our course. And in fact, if you write, if anyone writes to me, I will send them information on the programme. And you can see it on the AWRC site, and it's called Leading Through Health and Wellbeing. Uh, thank you for that. And for me, it's gratitude um, also for being asked. Thank you very much indeed, because it's really helped me to think through, think it through for myself. Now, notice that's only taken about five minutes. And what one does is one brainstorms. And it's not for discussion. It's just to get things down. I used to chair a wonderful organization called uh, JN Bentley, a civil engineering group. And uh, when, I, when I was uh, chairing that, the board used to have a, a break and then spend up to an hour on this reflection. And their meetings quality just went through the roof. Absolutely extraordinary. And imagine everyone within the whole organization running meetings which are really effective. It makes so much difference. So mm. thank you very much indeed. It's been a great privilege. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Richard. It's been fascinating to talk to someone who's had such a profound influence and on Sheffield and its business world. I think you embody the friendly and down-to-earth character of our city. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show chris at danflasconsulting.com. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book on Amazon. And this episode was recorded by Squadcast in Sheffield. And the music was brought to you by 96 Pike on CPU Records. <laughs>